On the show today, blocks without chains, secret dungeons, and taking a swing at missing in three, two, one. Alex, I noticed that your hair is surprisingly still not teal. Yeah, well, just wait. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward to it. My shirt's kind of teal. So there's that. Uh, your shirt is blue. Close enough. Very, very blue. Now, if you mix your shirt with the green screen that people won't be able to tell is behind you, you might have teal. Okay, that's good. <laughs> well, we'll see if there's a blending technique I can use later. Uh, but anyway, until that point, thank you, everybody, for once again joining us on Total Pebble Knockdown. I am Nathan. And I am Alex. And, and welcome to the show. It, yeah, it still exists. It is extant. First thing that we have to talk about is a uh, weekly muse. We have some news from the world of Minecraft. Have you heard of Minecraft, Alex? No. What's Minecraft? Tell me all about it. Well, Minecraft is a game, like an open-world survival game, where you can build almost anything you want with a, a bunch of these blocks that are... 16-bit blocks, I want to say? I don't really know what the graphic style technically is, but... It's from Mojang. It's also probably the biggest video game in the world. I don't know if it... Yeah. yeah, it's one of the most sold video games of all times. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it has been going strong for 10 years or more now? More. In the current space, though, uh, there's been a big push by a lot of companies, as we've talked about on the show previously, to introduce non-fungible tokens, usually known as NFTs, and blockchain technology, all of the crypto goodness, uh, into their products. And this month, we have gotten word that Microsoft and Mojang have said no fucking thanks to the NFTs and has uh, rejected the use of it on their servers and in the, uh, in the game. Yes, good move by Microsoft Mojang, because honestly fucking NFTs. Yeah, exactly. Um, the uh, statement from developer Mojang was NFTs are not inclusive to all our community and create a scenario of the haves and have-nots. The speculative pricing and investment mentality around NFTs takes the focus away from playing the game and encourages profiteering, which we think is inconsistent with the long-term joy and success of our players. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> it, it absolutely does and undermines the very, you know, playability and fun of the game in the first place. I take it as Mojang and Microsoft understanding their community enough to know why people come to play the game. Right. It's not that they are not doing any kind of microtransactions, but specifically the, the crypto and the, the NFTs, blockchain technology they're steering yeah. away from. I think it also comes from the understanding that in most of gaming, players yeah. do not want this. No, and there have been many cases, Ubisoft was finding this out 
pretty recently, even though I think they're still going through with it, is that there was just a lot of backlash to having this kind of technology being put into the games. There's usually a, like a small group that want it because they want all the cool stuff that nobody else can have, and a bunch of the people that can't have it and therefore don't want it. It's that whale mentality. Exactly, exactly. And then you know who the whales are, and you, you uh, say, go away, please. I don't want yeah. to. Uh, also, Square Enix, I believe, has NFTs as well they wanted to do. I think it might have been Square Enix I was thinking about that. No, Ubisoft has to. Well, yeah, but what I mean is I think it was Square Enix that stood back from it after they got pushback on it and decided that they... Um, they, they didn't uh, want to go through with it. Ubisoft, I think, was pretty straightforward that Quartz, their service, was going to happen. Like, yeah, we're yeah. going to do it. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, I'll see how that works, but I really think you should have spent more time on those games that you were making, considering they're going to launch All, the, all their games are just the same formula. They don't need to spend time on it. That's true. They really don't. I was surprised when I went on to uh, look at games the other day and I found out that Skull and Bones, the game I thought was never coming out, is apparently launching in a couple months. They they got around oh. to making it, folks. There you go. Good good job. There'll, there'll probably be NFTs in it. Here's the follow-up, though. So, first of all, good for Microsoft, good for Mojang, no NFTs in Minecraft. However, there is another little sub-piece of news that NFT World that has been shunned by Microsoft. <laughs> well, you first need to explain what NFT World is. Okay. Right? So from nftworlds.com itself, basically what they're promoting this as is build a metaverse. Oh, great. Yeah, I always love it when that term comes up too. Uh, anything you could imagine is possible with NFT Worlds. Create games, experiences, venues, concerts, community hangouts, and more. Each world in its own flexible, fully metaverse that's interconnected with other worlds in the NFT Worlds multi-metaverse ecosystem. God, I hate all those buzzwords. That's, uh, that is some um, great corporate speak. So <sighs> NFT Worlds was a thing. Is, is, was a thing? Is, was. <laughs> Um, where they created this metaverse, if you will, but it ran on Minecraft. Ah, I don't know if you got to that point. I haven't gotten to that point. Okay. No, sorry. Go ahead. I won't steal your thunder. Well, that's okay. Uh, but basically, yes. And if you look at the uh, the NFT worlds and what it is, it's going to remind you an awful lot of Minecraft in the blocky style that it has. Um, well, that's, that's because it is Minecraft. Because it is Minecraft. The news from this week was that NFT world, that lovely metaverse mecha, uh, shunned by Minecraft, says it will build its own Minecraft with blockchain and creators. There you go. Um, from the uh, Forbes uh, article, uh, when you have based your entire ecosystem around a specific game and that game says they want nothing to do with you, that kind of throws a wrench into things. <laughs> and that's yeah. what happened when they announced that third parties would uh, not be able to use the Minecraft ecosystem for Web3, crypto, blockchain, or NFT-based uh, projects. So, what NFT World said is pretty much, 
fuck you in the face. Uh, what we're going to do is create a new game and platform based on many of the core mechanics of Minecraft. Okay, but with the modernization and active development, Minecraft has been missing for years. So, and this does feel like the most NFT thing. You know, you take a property that was actually built, and then you just kind of like make a copy of it and sell it as, as its own thing that you think has more valuation to it. Um, they, uh, they stated that this transaction... This transition will additionally come with a public-facing brand identity change that is more player-friendly. Boy, they are really pulling out buzzwords left and right for this thing. Yeah, a lot of crypto, all they do is buzzword to death. Yeah, here's here's the piece that I'll read for you that uh, does sound like somebody in marketing that um, went to a very prestigious school but has no real-world experience wrote. Um, while the playstyle, look and feel of this will be very familiar to Minecraft players, the game mechanics, graphics, performance optimization, and overall per improvements will usher in a more accessible, ownable, and enjoyable playing experience. Best of all, we'll be completely untethered from the policy enforcement Microsoft and Mojang have over Minecraft. We truly become our own open game and platform. That's a whole lot of corporate speak for uh, they won't let us make money on their things, so we're gonna go over here now and just rip off the same thing we were... So, so here's the thing. Yes. If you guys already had the technology and know how to make your own game... Wouldn't you just do it? Probably would have just done it. Yes, and so the question that is posed, of course, by the Forbes article that Paul Tassi wrote is... Okay, so if this will have Minecraft's core mechanics and playstyle look and feel, but be legally distinct enough from Minecraft so they don't get sued? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it'll be like every other Minecraft clone out there that kind of feels like Minecraft, but isn't as good. Yes, yes. We are still going to have to see if this is going to be doomed or not. I have a feeling that the same reason that Mojang said they didn't want these in their system is the reason why the NFT World Project is going to fail, because they don't seem to understand why people play the game. Yeah. Um, which is usually not so that I can become some, some sort of crypto landlord in a virtual world. Yeah, I mean, even, not even to do with this, but in the entire crypto and NFT and metaverse landscape, like, something I was listening to the other day, mm. Meta, aka formerly Facebook, yeah. has lost tons of employees over oh, the yeah. last year and so. Because oh, yeah. people are just like, yeah... Zuckerberg's kind of really hyper-focusing on this one thing, and it doesn't really... There's... It's like, the majority of people that work there are still confident in that being a thing that's gonna happen. And by majority, I mean, like, 57%? Sure. As opposed to the 43% of people that are like, eh. Yeah. Eh. But, uh, like, a lot of people are jumping ship because they're like, this is so dumb. Yeah, I, I'm, I am sure with as, as wealthy and lucrative as these businesses are, they've already done calculations of how many people are going to leave compared to the profit margin they can get off the people that are still there. Yeah. But if your whole intention is to keep building a community and keep building into a space, 
then this is probably not going to be indicative of that, conducive to it. And Minecraft especially is one of those platforms that has to live or die by people making stuff for it. So they need as big a community as they possibly can to keep it going. And I don't know if NFT Worlds really thought about that. I mean, I guess you only need a handful of people to, like, give you a ton, a butt-ton of money <laughs> in order for that to make sense. But also that means there's not that many people actually building stuff for the game. So it's very limited and small in scope by comparison to Minecraft, at which point you ask yourself, why wouldn't I just play Minecraft? And then I don't have to pay any of this. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like, I can already do all the things I want to do in the NFT worlds yeah. that they were doing in base Minecraft, modded yeah. Minecraft, yeah. without paying up the ass for it. Right, exactly. So, I don't understand. People want exclusivity to mm. these things that are pointless in a community-driven game. Yeah, it's... um. I, I don't see this really working, and it's, it comes at a time where it's becoming a little clear that most people have bounced off of this whole concept anyway, and the valuation of all of this is going down. Um, oh, yeah. There was that, uh, if, if you remember recently, the first tweet that Jack Dorsey had that became a uh, an NFT was was bought at auction like a year or so ago and he paid millions of dollars and then he wanted to put it up onto the marketplace again on open seas and like the best offer he got was like 12 grand or something <laughs> and it's like well that wasn't a very good investment my friend all these people famous people that were like gifted nfts oh yeah or uh you know bought them to sell them yeah they're just dumping them uh, it's it, like oh yeah i didn't get paid to endorse this nft Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> With the like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, Carousel didn't and... didn't we get these uh, NFTs as gifts to endorse and try to get people to buy it? Oh, yeah, now, yeah, I'm not affiliated with that. I'm not sold mine off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost like some kind of pump and dump scheme. Yeah, it's almost like you uh, shield out for people that give you something you thought was worth money to give you know to try and influence your fans and people that watch you it does like look that yeah that does seem to be uh what what happened with i think of one of the greatest stories was that seth green yeah got his bored ape hijacked and had someone like stole it and then he yep. had to ransom they basically ransomed it back to him yep because he wanted to make some stupid fucking cartoon with it. And it's like, you know what? Good. That's how secure these are, folks. No one is going to watch your fucking Bored Ape cartoon, Seth Green. Oh Robot God. Chicken was great, Just and live with you've that. done nothing since then. <laughs> Just deal with that. <laughs> deal with that. Um, yeah, looking into Bored Ape... Uh, I, I did once, just because I'm like, I don't even know how they value these and the idea of different assets being worth different amounts. It's like, well, then why wouldn't you just make a board ape that has all the most valuable assets and call it good and go home? Like, because you need to have a variety of them. Yeah. We're going to make a mosaic picture of board apes that creates a board ape. Oh, and you know, we can sell that as an NFT. 
And that is an NFT containing all the NFTs. It will be all the NFTs as one NFT. One person owns it and screw everybody else. Yes. Now you have to pay the price of all of them combined. Now you have to pay the price of all of them combined. Or, better yet, I do like the un-NFT thing that I saw one creator do where it's just, or it's just a JPEG and everybody can have it. Everybody owns it now. Everyone owns them. You just all get it now. Make it a stock image. State, make it a stock image. Uh, yeah. But as I probably already have to tell, boilerplate, boilerplate. Um, yeah, NFTs are kind of stupid. They are really bad for the environment. They use a whole shit ton of energy. They create an exclusivity market where there doesn't need to be one, uh, so that a bunch of like digital art freaks can use it to probably launder money but the point is <laughs> and crypto as a whole has been kind of crashing lately mm. um you know bitcoin went down from 60k to 19k 19 pretty quick yeah you know and then all the other ones there have been some really big uh dumps uh and thefts and bankruptcies in the in the crypto space lately um yeah. and then all all of that going on has made the graphics card market also go down really hard in price because suddenly all these graphics cards people aren't using are getting flooding the market and the price to buy a new graphics card has crashed entirely oh well at least there's something good that came out of it well well, i mean the the only issue there is it's if you want to use graphics card they're really cheap uh but i think some of the newer ones might still be more i haven't looked too much you probably get a better price than you could a couple months back yeah, well, that's good. Just in, in case anyone was looking for a 30 series, you can uh, you can look at it now. 3090s Founder Edition is probably still kind of expensive, but who knows? Maybe you can get a 3070 or 80. Those are pretty great anyway, so. I've got a 3070 Ti. Yeah, I hear that I those paid out the ass for it. Yes. <laughs> My 2060 works just fine. Um, it, I'd like to get something better at some point, though. Uh but uh, but I'm not complaining. It, it it plays everything, so I'm not going to worry about it. But No complaint. Only NFT. Only NFT. Uh, yeah, so you can understand why Minecraft would not want to be involved with it, but a company like NFT Worlds that literally has it in its name is going to have to just own up to it and see if they can bilk it for anything that they can. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll wait and see if we get any word that all of a sudden NFT Worlds is like hip or cool now. <laughs> and that's not going to happen. But um, <laughs> the, main, the main key, though, takeaway is uh, good for Minecraft. Um, I think it's going to be a move that pays off in dividends in the end. Um, and uh, we'll wait to see. But if I were to predict anything, it, it, will, it will work out for what they wanted to build. We have a crit think today. And uh, Alex, I got a question for you. Yes. Here's the question we have for crit think is, can you put secret levels in tabletop role-playing games? Sure, maybe. Sure, maybe. That's the best answer. There's... Done and dusted. Okay, so the idea here is that we are discussing about how video games often have secret areas, secret levels, Easter eggs, Mm -hmm. uh out-of-bounds places you can get. There's a lot of hidden stuff you can put in video games. Sure. Uh, an example of this is the secret cow level in Diablo 2. Mm-hmm. 
or Whimsyshire in three, or, or Whimsyshire in three, which you know Diablo two secret cabal level was put there because. Uh, there was a cheat code, I think, in StarCraft, which is called There Is No Cow Level, because there was originally rumors for Diablo 1 that there was a secret cow level. Yeah. And they made this, the cheat code in, in StarCraft to kind of debunk it. Sure. But then making Diablo 2, they're like, you know, actually, let's make a secret cow level. Yeah. Because that sounds ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so they did. And people loved it. Mm-hmm. And then Diablo 3, it was uh, when they were testing like an alpha or beta or whatever and people complained that the color palette was too bright and colorful for a Diablo game and they might as well add sunshine and rainbows and so the team went you know what sure we will and they made Whimsyshire as the secret level for um, yeah. Diablo 3 yeah. which is all sunshine rainbows and teddy bears and unicorns which is fucking fantastic oh it was great I, I, um, my favorite part um, and also when they got into like the, uh, the instances, like the random instances, they actually did also have a cow level one that you could end up stepping yes. into. And, yes. and Later on, they did add that as well. But you know, video games have a history with secret levels, hidden areas, places you can get to, uh, that are not necessarily told to you through the base game. Yes. You either have to find out how to get there by yourself, or maybe there's rumors in game. Or you have to find out from a friend, like we used to all those years ago. Hey, did you hear about the secret cow level? Yeah. Yeah, you got a town portal in Wurt's Leg in the Horogic Cube, and it creates a portal to the hell level. Yep. You know, you had to experiment or look, and someone would tell you. But tabletop is a little different. Yeah, they're usually trying to, when you you start playing a game, like a a Dungeons & Dragons World of Darkness, etc., is that you're on a mission itself, and so the person that's running the game wants you to go through the quest that you're currently on. Um, But when I started thinking about that, there's really nothing to say that in the book itself there couldn't be um, like a certain series of things that you do that would lead you to an area or a quest line that is not directly laid out. For the there, there's nothing saying that you can't do that, and honestly, that could be really fun itself. But the issue I have with that itself mm. is that by the creation of having it in the book and a DM knowing about it or a player knowing about it by reading the book, just it then it. becomes, "Hey guys, I just want to run this really cool secret area with you." Yeah. Uh, either let's just run it and forget about all the things you need to get there, or heavily hinting at it so the players feel accomplished to get there. Right. And so it becomes less of a secret area or hidden level in that case and it becomes more of a thing that you must know about to want to do. Right. So then we have to think to ourselves, is there a way you could actually hide it from the game master until it became relevant? And I have had plenty of thoughts about doing this exact thing in an RPG, uh, given that I have a slight love affair with uh, alternate reality games. Yes. Which are typically games with a lot of hidden information, or they don't tell you that they're games and they obscure a lot to go through it. Mm -hmm. So 
looking at that as an idea, you know, if I had the thought process that maybe there is stuff hidden in the game book itself. Sure. That you, as a publisher or designer, don't tell anyone at all. Mm-hmm. You don't tell them it's there. Yeah. They have to come across it themselves, organically as players, maybe as characters, maybe as lore bits, as little things, you know, kind of like doing the lore in Dark Souls games, sure. where it's the lore is written in the item descriptions that you just kind of have to piece together. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, Maybe you do something like that. You've got little bits of lore here and there, but when players kind of take it and look at it and read it and put pieces together, maybe it's like, oh yeah, you do this thing and do that thing, mm. and you can extrapolate the information from it that maybe, maybe there's something hidden somewhere yeah maybe there's a website you can go to that you get this information from the book but it doesn't spell it out for you right right so the item description thing is an interesting concept because you could say that uh you know there's no guarantee when you're going through a chest maybe you're doing investigation checks or something that you're gonna find the item but then, oh, happy day, like, you did well enough, you found this this interesting item. Might not be anything usable, but it's like a trinket, it's something like that. It's a key, it, you know, you put those in a lot of places, you know, this, this magical key. I think actually in our last D&D section there was a magical key that, that we found, um, but the whole item description of it was that you can try to unlock doors with it and there's like a 20% chance that it will work and then it's not usable anymore so it's kind of like yeah. it's it's a very unreliable skeleton key basically yeah. but think about it this way what if you actually could find a key but you don't know what the key goes to and then the only way you even find out any hints to what it might go to is in the item description of the key to tell you like what the origin of it is like if you do checks on like history or uh, you, you know about a magic item and maybe you can kind of from that information extrapolate that it it belongs to something else and then when you get to an area that it might become pertinent see if you could find a chest that might not be obvious that sure, has but that. even even then doing it that way you've got all the information in the book so you've got the description of your key, and you have where it might go to. You have all that in there, and you're kind of making it so that you need to like do player checks. So, so what happens if your player fails the history check on that on that key? Then uh, they just don't learn the information. Yeah, they're just not going to know what the information. So, is. generally, with something like that, a history check, you shouldn't be able to make more than once on an item. You don't learn any more history than you would have known. Right. So, if your players miss that. Then sure. suddenly, this key yeah. that could have they could have learned any hints from is useless because sure. they failed to check. Um, so, if you really truly wanted to make a hidden level for a game, I think you'd have to divorce it from being something that the characters could fail. Okay. It would have to be based on player okay. knowledge. All right. Um, so that's where like the ideas I've had for a game I would love to do is like all the stuff is hidden, and maybe I've got like a website set up for like a wiki sure or like monsters it's got entries but maybe there's pages that are password protected mm-hmm. or just locked somehow mm-hmm. and maybe maybe you go through your rpg and you find something that gives you uh runes and you can decipher this alphabet but the mm-hmm. book doesn't tell you that this is actually an alphabet and you can decipher 
Oh, yeah. And then you actually, as a player, outside of the game, go through and decipher this alphabet in the book. So then you find some art assets in the book that have these runes. And turns out, it's all something you can decode. Sure. This harkens back to, say, our Mandela Effect episode. Sure. Where we've got some little hidden secrets in there. Sure. But, like, if you're not looking for that and you don't realize it's there, it's just kind of there. Right. But once you realize it's something, you can go back in and you can take a better look at it and go, okay, well, all these runes are great and artistic and it's fine. But then you're like, oh, this is a legible alphabet. Yeah. So you go back in and you read the wall says, go check out, like, or it's some cryptic clue about a full moon and howling. And you're like, oh, that sounds like something to do with werewolves. Mm-hmm. So then you go to the werewolf page on the website and it's got, like, maybe something on the bottom that's hidden and it's got, like, a password you can put in. Yeah. And you get taken to another page. It's got, like, my thought is you hide all this stuff and it's like, oh, you found this. Cool. Here's a dungeon crawl that's not published in the book at all. Mm-hmm. It's not published anywhere written. It's only existing on this webpage that you have to have put clues together to find. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea, too, of trying to use the art assets for it, because I think that if you were to print it into the book itself, people would automatically know that there was a code. And exactly. There, there's a lot of times when you'll see art assets and they'll be like... Uh, you know, cryptograms or there'll be like, you know, uh, hieroglyphics or something on the back and people just will pay no mind to it. But if that was an actual code for an actual thing to decode. And I think that's, you know, something I've been thinking about for a while because I would love to make a game that goes with those ideas where it's got a bunch of hidden stuff. In theory, I'd love to have a base RPG that has a hidden ARG underneath it that ties into the game. Yeah. So you go through this entire game, you can play it as is, but then you've got stuff within the rule books and the and the website that you can find all these little mysteries and you can pay them no attention. Yeah. But once you realize that they're a thing, you could suddenly go in mm. and then maybe have a whole new campaign that isn't published, is free for you to get a hold of, but you have to know where to look. Yeah. I uh I think that the idea would be really helpful too with the idea of like having a three-dimensional like digital version of it if you go in and you look at like you say oh well you happen to get this ring and you could describe the ring the way it is in the book but if you had a a three-dimensional version of it on uh the website that you could go and look at where you could actually rotate it around and you could like try to find inscriptions that might be underneath the ring which would not be obvious from the books, uh, because now you can actually rotate it around and look at it in all dimensions. They've done that in video games, where yeah. you know you'll have the object, but then actually when you when you if you're looking for extra clues, they say, hey, yeah, you can investigate it more closely and find out that yeah, on the back of the pamphlets, which they won't be able to show you in the in the books or anything like that. Uh, yeah, there's a code that's written on it, and that's going to translate to something. Um, yeah, I mean, even Skyrim did the very basic of this with the dragon claws for the barrows. Oh, okay. Where you have to, you know, you've got the cipher door, as it, as you will, which yeah. are really simple. Yeah. But they're like, oh, you need to pick which pattern. And so you take the claw and you look at it in 3D and you turn it around and it has the three symbols and you put them in that order. Yep. You know, 
that is the simplest idea of that for Skyrim. Yeah. But take that idea and put it into an RPG, a tabletop RPG. And I think there's so much versatility you could do to hide hidden levels, items. Like, I would love to do hidden artifacts and items that you can get from solving these mysteries. Yeah. And these clues that you as players could really love and as characters be like, cool, we did this mystery, maybe with a little bit of real world out of game and in game stuff. Mm. So you're mixing the two, but I right. think it'd be really cool because then, it, honestly, if you get it and no other players have it, you get bragging rights. Yeah, and it also is kind of nice because the person running the game is now also essentially playing the game along with the players. Right. For that part. And the trick to that, I think, is making sure that your GM doesn't have access to more information than mm. the players do. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hard to do. Yeah, and it's tricky. And you would have to write... I feel like you would have to write this in that sort of way that I've kind of mentioned to make it really doable in the way that would be completely secret. Mm. Although, you know, once players get there, they can share it online. But if you get special items and bragging rights and, like, if there was some leaderboard to say you got here first, Mm. I don't know that players would... Typically in ARGs, a lot of players don't share the entire methodology of how they got there. Right. They're like, yeah, here's some hints if you need it, but we're not going to spell it out for you. Sure. Like, figure it out on your own because that's the entire purpose. Right. Um, I like the idea of combining those two elements of RPG and ARG together. Yeah. I think I would love making a game like that. Sure. And I think it'd be great for the right group of people that would like to play it. Uh, I think it definitely is not the easiest thing to do. Sure. Um, But that's my thought on that, and I've probably espoused way too many of my own ideas to make this, uh, you know, somebody else is going to take it and run with it. But then again, someone would have to listen to this to know about that. So That's right, and this is almost a hidden code in itself because they'd have to listen to the right episode. Don't listen to this part of the episode. Yeah. There's your clip. (laughs) There's your clip. Don't listen to this part of the episode. Um, I like the idea of possibly tell me tell me what you think about this idea so when they uh they do graphic models on a lot of games they'll have like you know your rings but your medallions or any banners anything like that and usually they will have the symbols or the imagery of different factions that are actually in the game i'd like to try something where you come across a medallion and it has a symbol on it And unless you're really familiar with all of the lore and the factions of the world, you wouldn't know that this is not correlative to any of the current factions that are there. Like, like that, you know, if you were familiar with it, you'd be able to say, oh, yeah, that's for, you know, this guild and that's for, you know, this college and everything. And then come across one that is not cited at all in any of the lore and have to look it up to find that there's actually a little, like a literal secret society that this was from whose information has been stripped out of all of the books and the texts of the yeah. world. And then that, if you go on that, kind of like going down trying to find the, the uh, you know, history of that society leads you on an actual quest in that world. Where yeah, you where you uncover it? Yeah, that's where like similar with what I was talking about. It's like yeah, my idea is a game where you've got the books <laughs> and then maybe you've got an online wiki. Yeah, 
and the wiki has all the information that you didn't put in the book because maybe you're trying to make the book smaller cheaper more affordable yeah whatever and just the wiki can have way more information yeah but then you can be like all right cool well maybe there's pages in the wiki that you don't publish in the book at all right so people can go through that and look at all sorts of stuff i think it'd be fun you could do something like that where you throw this little medallion into the game you leave it as a description in a specific adventure and you find it and it's like yeah uh your players have no idea what this is any history check to figure out what this is will fail you know so the players will be like okay well the characters don't know anything about this so what the heck is this and they might go on a scavenger hunt to try and find out what that is. And then that can lead players who are investigative to going down a whole rabbit hole, hopefully with their group of players. Right. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where you could take your in-game and mash it up with the out-of-game to make two different experiences, to make a whole new experience that could be really fun. Yeah, um, so basically what you're saying is that if you made the the ARG RPG, it's basically a pamphlet is the entire book, and like, there's like 700 pages of text on it. <laughs> Maybe, on the something website. like that. Yeah, the, the book is literally just a bifold, and <laughs> it just all of the information is on there about all the lore, and if you want anything more, it's all cryptically on the, <laughs> yeah. on the site. Um, but, yes. this is think though it is we are wondering if any of you listening have ideas of how you might hide secret levels uh secret items dungeons crawls adventures plots hooks anything like that how you might have uh easter eggs or hidden stuff that aren't just like that's a callback to portal like i did in my uh dnd game i ran a while back where you're going up against uh, you know the, the scientist cave johnson perfect you know Something that's not just that. How might you hide something else like that in a game uh, to have fun? Yeah. How do you think that would work? Where is your cow level? <laughs> Where is your cow level? <laughs> Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> we pass the question on to you. If you happen to have an uh, interest in answering, which I certainly hope you do, uh, feel free to either leave us a message on our anchor page, or you can join us over on Discord and we'll discuss. Finally, we have a one more thing on this episode. And Alex, the one more thing I wanted to discuss with you came from me scrolling endlessly on the internet, which I do quite a bit. Yeah, which we all do. We all do. Uh, Yeah, but I I wasn't doom scrolling. I was DM scrolling. And I came across a, a Reddit a subreddit, actually, uh, called DM Academy, and it gave me some different ideas and threads. The basic idea of that subreddit is uh, different people that run games uh, giving advice and asking for ideas to deal with typical problems that they have. And so one thing came along, and I did have it... I took a screenshot so that I could remember it, but it was about... Uh, a player who just found something that hit them the wrong way when uh, their dungeon master said that uh, the player missed on on an attack. They said, I'll just read from what, what they wrote, 
Uh, my DM was a player, and I told him I was going to attempt the same creative narrative approach he had tried. I had a post-it note on the back of my DM screen, and all it said was, The players never miss. We got into our first combat, and I couldn't have asked for a better chance to practice. Two of our party never scored a hit, and I didn't roll very well myself, so I went to work narrating three level two characters fighting a small group of cultists. And so, bringing the battle to life despite low rolls, creating an epic battle on accident. And one of the examples that they give is a miss equals you swing your great axe but the cultist quickly steps to the side he whips his scimitar through the air and pushes your great axe away your great axe smashes through the floorboards or uh, instead of miss you fire an arrow from across the room the arrow arches expertly through the beams and hanging herbs in the kitchen the cultist moves away from the barbarian's great axe coincidentally stepping aside as the arrow whizzes past his ear he shoots you a look of mixed shock and relief. A couple little examples there. The reason why that came up is because if you just tell a player uh, you missed the attack, that doesn't really make much sense, does it? Like you were mentioning before. In a lot of cases, it wouldn't necessarily make sense. But I mean, yes, you can absolutely miss somebody. But I tend to agree that you don't often miss completely yeah especially in melee combat i think that one of the problems that you might experience is that if you keep having places where you miss like you literally like oops i hit over here it doesn't really lend itself to the uh, you're, you're the heroes of the story you would certainly think that adventures that are going on this you know journey would not constantly be like flubbing, <laughs> flubbing, hitting something with a sword or a spear, uh, especially when you get to very large enemies. Chances are, it has a very uh, high AC if they're large enemies like dragons. Yeah. Um, you you would think it'd be very hard for, well, even ranged combatants and you know magic users to like miss something that's the size of a building. Yeah, and that's one example I tend to use is the dragon one. It's if you're in melee combat with a dragon, yeah, you're probably not going to miss the creature with your weapon. No. You might, however, uh, not hit it very well. Yeah, yeah. So unless you're rolling a critical failure, I'm probably not going to say you missed a dragon. Later on in the D&D campaign we're in, you guys are, I believe, should be fighting a dragon. And you're probably not going to miss it. Right. But you may not do damage to it when you attack it. Right. So okay. it's it's similar to when you guys fought the werewolves. I didn't say you missed it because yeah. you guys were hitting it, but it, you were, it was immune to your damage. Right. So, like, you hit it, but it doesn't get much purchase. Or in the dragon's sense, you could be like, you swing your sword and the scales defect, deflect the blow or they take the brunt of the damage or you could do any other description that is not missed. You were absolutely hitting this dragon with your sword. Yes. And this dragon is giving zero 
shits. Yep, it does not care. Um, I think one of the easy ways to get around that, if you're new to, you know, dungeoneering or whatever, is uh, to think about the nature of, like, creatures and armor and chitin or natural armor or anything like that, and realize that there are, especially when you see, like, a paladin's armor or anything like that, there are going to be areas that are much thicker than others, and you would imagine that if you happen to hit the parts that are thicker, uh, that you're not going to really do anything. If you hit, like, the pauldrons on, you know, the uh, shoulders of somebody, it's probably not going to do very much when those, like, big, thick, heavy pauldrons are there. You hit it, but it's not going to do much. But if you roll well enough that you get past the AC class, maybe you hit, like, across the, the belly, or something like that. You hit in between the armor, and that's why it does damage. It's not uh, inconceivable to think that, like, AC has to be thought of in Dungeons & Dragons less as, you know, what kind of armor you have, but realistically just what's the likelihood that you're actually going to end up doing damage to the creature when, when you attack them. Right. Um, and, uh, and so for some small creatures that have high AC, it's because they're agile. That's why dexterity as a modifier usually goes to your AC. Uh, because it's about sidestepping the damage. It's about getting out of the way of your damage uh, when when it happens. You know, the orc comes up to you and, and swings, and yeah, it it technically misses by the, you know, mechanics of the game, but realistically, it's just so much more interesting to say that, like, you, like, your dexterous nature causes you to, like, lean back as the sword whips across you, and it only it only just scuffs the surface of your leather armor, you know, uh, something something to that effect. It's not really that the, the enemies missed or you missed, but did it actually do anything? I understand the reason why that was a problem. Miss is one of those words that just seems very passive and also just feels like it just takes the narrative framework of a battle and just kind of like drops it on its face like a wet towel on the <laughs> on the battlefield that you just yeah. kind of like watch just flop there and just sit sit there just big and wet in a towel. There's one of your clips somewhere in there. Oh, there's a big wet towel just being a big wet towel, I'll tell you. You know how sometimes they say that, you know, wet towels are like wet towels. They're wet towels occasionally. I think you're done with this analogy now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's technically analogy if you've just analogized it with itself. <laughs> so if uh, people are not necessarily comfortable with, like, getting into the narrative structure or the flowery language, is there a simpler way that they might be able to address uh, not hitting an armor class, not making a successful attack that's just quicker but doesn't feel as passive and deflating as, as myths? You could say that the armor negates their damage. Sure. For instance, Malvine Purchase. You could just use mist and not be pedantic. It really depends on the level of narration you want to put into it. Yeah. If you are new and you think it's easier to just say, hey, yeah, your your sword misses, or you you don't hit, you don't meet their AC is another simple way that's just straightforward. Right. If you don't want to go the full narration line because you're nervous, you're new to it or whatever, or maybe it's just not your style, or maybe your players don't care, then that's fine. But yeah. if you want to be like, you swing your sword and the 
the goblin ducks underneath your sword and then comes at you and tries to stab you in the, the belly with its shank, mm-hmm. for instance, you could do something like that as well. Again, sure. it really depends on your style. Sure. It really depends on the level of narration your players want and you want to engage in. Uh, but finding creative ways to ex- explain that mm. and f- make it flow and feel cinematic is always fun. Sure. But it's not always necessary. Yeah. It can be really tiring to do that for every attack sometimes. Yeah, no, I understand that. Um, I think something else that's kind of handy, too, is let's say that the enemy has uh, an AC of 15 and your player gets a 13. Uh, So you're close to the AC, but you probably don't want to just come out and say, you know, oh, no, the creature's AC is is whatever. You know, you you don't really want to do that because that would be too metagaming and we don't really want to assign numbers to the enemies. It it breaks up the the cinematic quality. I I would probably say something to the similar like, well, that's not quite going to do. Like, just kind of give the idea that it's close, but not really going to do anything. To give people at least an idea of the numbers that they're supposed to be hitting in order for this to work. Um, just uh, something a little bit simpler without doing too much metagaming and bringing too many of the mechanics themselves into the actual uh, narration of the game. Um, but then again, if you want to go full on, you know, Homeric tradition of, you know, espousing the Great Odyssey, I mean, go for it. Uh, you, you can. Um, but, uh, yeah, avoiding the word miss specifically just because I think it can be short and nondescript. I was going to go with misleading. There you go. It's misleading because the heroes really shouldn't be missing attacks, so to speak. Eh, Maybe Uh, they're not heroes. Maybe they're anti-heroes. Anti-heroes also usually don't miss attacks, though. Maybe they're villains. Maybe they're just bad at their job. The point is, a adequately seasoned adventurer who has training probably shouldn't be missing a whole lot. Yes. Unless they're a stormtrooper. Yeah. Then they miss all their shots. Then that's like regard yeah, that's that's narratively correct, is that the stormtroopers. The title of this segment is you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't make. Yes, exactly. And 200% of the shots if you're a stormtrooper. Exactly, exactly. I am actually kind of surprised when it came to the stormtroopers that they didn't end up shooting themselves more than the rebels. Listen, the clone troopers were phenomenal. Yeah, uh, why'd they get rid of those? Oh, budget cutbacks? (laughs) Jedi cutbacks. Jedi cutbacks, yeah. (laughs) They needed to outsource (laughs) Thus ends yet another episode of Total Pebble Knockdown. Shooting my shots and missing. We're shooting all of our shots and we missed every single one of them. The AC is very high on this. Um, so It needs to be higher. It's fucking hot. Yes, it certainly is. <laughs> oh, the frost dragons. What are you going to do? We, we got to get there faster. It's too hot right now. Thank you all for joining us on this episode. I hope that you've uh, been enjoying it so far. But Alex, if they'd like to enjoy more lovely Total Pebble Knockdown content, where could they go? If you would like to check out more of our content from Total Pebble Knockdown, you can either go to 
TotalPebbleKnockdown.com or or go check out our YouTube channel, which occasionally has bonus content on there that we don't put up on the podcast. Yeah. You can also go to Patreon to find our bonus content and in things that we don't publish anywhere else. That's true. There's usually more even on the Patreon, so to speak. Uh, some outtakes from the individual episodes as well as uh, some things that we don't necessarily share as videos on, on, the, on the website itself. Saturday specials and a couple things like that that we do, uh, those would be over on the YouTube channel. So check us out there. You can, of course, if you become a Patreon uh, patron, you can find all of these episodes a little earlier in full video form we do one for for our patrons as well as some of that additional crap that we uh, don't put into the episode <laughs> um, premium content as we call it you can also find us on every podcast app known to mankind if you see us on anchor feel free to leave us a video clip if you have a question or comment and we might address it on the show if you sure, it's a voice clip but if you got video go for it yeah, if you have video. Well, whatever you can do, chances are it will require audio, though. Of course, you can find us on the socials. I am at Citanium. I am at EXP Limited, and the show is over at Pebble Knockdown. So you can go and check us out there and uh, get uh, the newest information on stuff that's going to be up on the site. And I think that that will do it for this episode. Um, how many shots did you try taking today, and how many did you uh, hit? I haven't started taking any shots yet, but I'm hoping to get drunk later. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Not really. You know, you uh, pour 100% of the shots that you don't take. I pour over 100% if it's something overproofed. That's true. Yeah, you pour one out. For, for the homies. For the homies. That you, <laughs> for the homies. The homies that you missed along the way. You pour one out for the homing pigeons that you didn't shoot along the way. <laughs> homing pigeons getting drunk it sounds like non-homing pigeons. That's uh, the Hatiful boyfriend uh, bonus level that they never put in. <laughs> well, they should get on it. They should. That's a secret level that we needed. Um, anyway, uh, thank you everybody for joining us. We will see you on the next one, and goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. And forever. No, just kidding. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if I've talked to you about that idea before. Yeah, no, that you, is you, one, yeah, you mentioned it before. That is that is one I've had kicking around, but it would take a lot it does. of work from yeah. people more smart than me. Yeah, I know. A, a lot of our other ideas that are, are simpler are probably what we have to do first. <laughs> a tavern RPG. You know what you do is that in that, you just like put an ARG in the you one could, that's you simple. You can put it in anything. An easy thing, yeah. You do it, you do, like, the people that are in the rooms in the tavern, you just have lore bits and then tie that to a oh, website sure. somewhere. Yeah. Anyways. <clears throat> or if you happen to pick up the right flagon, you look, if you look on the bottom of the flagon, there's, like, a code. You don't yeah. know what the code goes to. <laughs>